You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. This edition of It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, your partner for global wealth creation. Welcome to It's My Money. It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth and Brenthurst Wealth is South Africa's top boutique wealth manager. Okay, with me is Aaron Ruttenboek today. He's talking to me about something called... Uh, playing the odds, entertainment versus investing. And it says here why you shouldn't be treating the market like a casino. Aaron, what prompted this particular article that you kindly sent me? Because when you have a look at the markets over the last few years, particularly when people were in lockdown, it seems to me that a certain aspect of the market was casino-like. Hi, Lindsay, and hi to your listeners. Thank you. Um, you know what? You know what exactly, Lindsay, what prompted me firstly to write the article was just basically, you know, getting questions from clients or potential clients, you know, regarding is is now a good time to invest. I heard about share XYZ uh, or I heard about investing into a certain, you know, demographic of the market. You know, is it now a good time to go into property and or I heard this. And then I also read an article at the same time. I've actually followed these articles. It's provided me with entertainment on how people lost money based on leverage, especially during the, you know, the just past the COVID crisis, you know, when interest rates were at zero, essentially, um, especially in developed markets, as well as money was being printed, mainly in the USA. So there was so much, you know, leverage going around there. And then there was a story, um, which, you know, I don't know how these people are, you know, able to, well, they don't mind sharing their stories. I'm about a 25 year old who amassed more than 1.5 million trading stocks using leverage during the pandemic, which is, you know, the whole the whole reason that started prompting writing this article. And his um, gains swelled so much, you know, that he's, you know, he started to spend on other things such as sports betting, bars, going to bars, luxury cars, as well as, you know, quite a lot of things. So when the party ended, his fortune evaporated thanks to some wrong way bets and his excessive spending, you know, Lamborghinis as well. So to support himself, he said, you know, now he works at a deli in Las Vegas that pays him roughly $14 an hour and tips, sorry, and sells um, area timeshares. So he says he no longer has money invested in the market and he's starting at zero again. I mean, and he's 25, but there are other types of investors that also been affected by leverage and he accumulated, um, you know, $300,000 in credit card bills, etc. So, you know, any person with those kind of gains must have felt invincible. And, you know, once that feeling sets in, there's only one emotion that takes over, and that's greed. So that whole story... Fear and greed as leverage, well, Aaron. It's not yes. just greed, it's fear and greed, and it's the fear of missing that's out exactly. as well. I'm looking at my screen now, and we're pre-recording this podcast, and it's Tuesday lunchtime in South Africa. And the price of Bitcoin... I'm not having a go at uh, cryptocurrencies at all. All I'm saying is that this is the epitome of entertainment and um, investment uh, sort of coming together. 24,700 for Bitcoin. It's up 12% on the day. I mean, yesterday, I think it was up 15% at one point. Um, a few months ago, it was down at 15,000. Now, 10,000 higher than that, almost. This is exactly the sort of culture that I would imagine that you at Brenthurst Wealth say, okay, you want to put a small percentage of your portfolio in that? That's fine. But the bulk must not be casino-like. Correct. When you've got casino-like type of investments where people are just watching other people making money mm. whether it be crypto which certainly there was a time you know because 99 percent of crypto is going to fail 
um, in different times. You know, it's got its own cycles and it goes up um, in a bull market and then 99% fail. And then the next bull market comes in 99% fail. But then you've got the more traditional like um, equities where, you know, they thrive on 0% um, interest rates or very, very low interest rates, like your high growth tech um, longer duration assets, and those obviously, you know, thrive on 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 that environment. Um, so people watch other people, or they hear things on TV, and then they're like, "Ooh, I want to do that." Especially those that, that said that they've made money or driving a luxury car. That's the whole thing is you've got to do your research because you don't know how that car was purchased. Was it purchased because of that many gains, or you know, are there just enough gains to have just taken out a loan? in which there's just more leverage, um, you know, and, and and that's the thing. Nobody does research, and that's the same for crypto. If you're going to invest in something like that, you've got to know and do your own research, not just speculate. Um, and, you know, that's why I wrote this article, and you'll see in that article, you know, the difference between speculation um, and my favorite situation, my favorite thing is, you know, the casino. Yes. Just like in a casino, the deck is stacked against you. You know, the longer you play, the greater your odds are you'll walk away a loser in the casino hence the house always wins um but with investing and i mean true well diversified well researched in traditional investing set crypto aside for a moment um you know that the longer you invest because you know we always say long term the longer you invest the greater your odds yeah aggressive yields are in the medium and long term of doing well there is a temptation though to do it and we've seen something blow up in the last few days aaron it's not a casino-like environment, uh, but a Silicon Valley bank crashing is is a classic example of people who just thought, if it's anything to do with tech, we can't go wrong. And that's what people, I think, have um, embraced when it came to, to that particular bank and a couple of other banks as the deposits all got um, drained from the system. But I think the SVB story and the crypto story is something that you have to have a look at and say, that is why only a tiny percent of your portfolio, if you want to have a bit of a flutter, should be uh, invested in things that are terribly, terribly risky, because they are lots of returns if you get it right, horrible losses if you get them wrong. Yes, uh, it's funny that you mentioned, for example, SVB's um, Silicon Valley Bank. In my article, I wrote about people being careful to take recommendations, whether it's around the braai or wherever at dinner where somebody said they made a lot of money or somebody on TV. Um, you know, people appear on financial media. It doesn't have to just be traditional media. It can be YouTube as well, you know, who offer market calls or stock picks, and they don't know you. They don't understand your risk tolerance, your time horizon, your unique sets of circumstances, or your financial position. And I remember watching something, and I can't remember where it was, mm -hmm. and it was already three months ago, and somebody said, look, there's Silvergate Bank, there's SVB, and there's Signature Bank. Silvergate Bank is one of the highest onboarding banks to cryptocurrency. It basically allows a lot of liquidity to come onto crypto um, globally and mainly in the US. Um, you know, it's a bank that facilitates the transactions. They're not actually associated with holding any crypto, but they went down, and I can't remember why. And the, the person said, you know, it wouldn't be a bad call taking a long on Silvergate Bank. And look, if they took a long on Silvergate Bank, just very briefly, they might have made some money, but a longer duration long would have actually caused them to have lost their money. I mean, Silvergate's gone under now. And that's my whole my whole point. Um, you know, you've gotten a situation where the bank itself, you know, irrespective of crypto as well, was this is this is where I say research needs to be done because the bank took money 
you've got assets and you've got liabilities on your assets are, well, first of all, your liabilities are your customers' deposits. Your assets are you investing those customers' deposits in longer duration bonds because they offer, for example, it was mainly 10-year treasuries, they offer a higher yield. But what a lot of people don't know or the man on the street doesn't know is that when interest rates goes up, the price of those bonds go down. And the bank wasn't showing on their balance sheet or they weren't showing on the asset side mark-to-market prices. So in other words, you know, when the interest rates went up, the prices of those bonds went down. They just showed what they purchased, you know, a $100,000 bond, for example. Um, and in repricing that bond, so, you know, investors could see only certain people realized this, you know, hold on, interest rates are going up, bond prices are going down. What are those actually worth? And that's what actually started the, should we call around in the bank? But if you don't know what you're doing, and it relates to anything, you know, that's just the bank and how a bank works. Well, this is the, um, this and, is what I don't understand, Aaron. I mean, I don't understand how a bank can be in existence. It obviously has a good deal mm. of scrutiny from the authorities, and somebody says, okay, uh, mm. you can open this bank, and you can call it Silvergate, or you can call it Signature, or you can call it um, SVB, whatever it is. The point is that they went into these long-term investments. In other words, the U.S. long bond market, which at one stage was mm. 0.6, 0.7% yield, and then went shooting up to over 4%. They didn't act and surely as a bank and as professionals they must know that they could have hedged themselves with derivatives and other instruments and that's that's why i think you've got to be very very careful and i'm always i'm always very very skeptical of people that go onto these youtube channels or set up their own youtube channel and they say well you should be doing this you should be doing that i say to myself why are you telling me you don't even know me just do it yourself. Why are you telling everybody about it? Just do it yourself and make money and go to the Bahamas uh, for a couple of months a year. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not like Brenthurst saying you've got to have a diversified portfolio because you're not making you're not making a killing by telling someone to do something sensible. You're gaining a client, but you're not making money yourself. I'm being a bit long-winded here, Aaron. So you've got to help me. But do you see what I'm saying? 100% I see what you're saying. And don't buy – that's why I say don't buy anything because someone else has made a lot of money doing it or somebody that's made money has mentioned it on TV, YouTube, Twitter, a blog or, or TikTok. You can use someone else's analysis or opinion or recommendations as a starting point to do your own research but never blindly buy or sell um, just because someone else tells you to. They don't know your personal circumstances. They don't know your risk profile. They don't know your – time frame and peter lynch i often quote he's one of my favorite investors he'll say when people look at a house they're very careful they'll look at the school system they'll look at the street they'll look at the plumbing and when they buy a refrigerator they do their homework but people spend more time and effort to buy the right refrigerator than they do the right fund or shares <laughs> yeah. or etfs and that's the whole point i'm trying to make is if somebody – and look, look at what I've just told you and how educated everybody else on, on just a little bit of how the run on the bank started. You know, If you understand how a bank works and then go and look into the balance sheet and income statement, compare it with other banks like you know, JP Morgan Chase who decided not to do these types of dealings with long-duration bonds. They saw the writing on the wall with the increase in interest rates, so they didn't do that. Then you'd be able to compare the assets and the balance sheet and decide and make your own risks. Otherwise, if you don't have that ability to do that – and you're taking blind advice, but you're purchasing a refrigerator or a TV and with much longer, you know, timeframes and, and, you know, you're looking into it very deeply, then there's something wrong and you need to take a step back and rather say, look, I can't do this.
You must, you must never, <laughs> ever not do your research when it comes to a TV, let me tell you. It's a terribly important <laughs> part of my life. I mean, stocks and shares and uh, asset classes are one thing, but the television is terribly important to me. I'm being facetious, of course. I mean, this brings us back to uh, Brent Esworth. You have to say, not everybody's got the time or the knowledge or the skills to have a look at a bank's balance sheet and say, wait a second, these people are long the US 10-year bond and even longer, and this bond has been falling because yields have been rising. Not everybody can do that. That's where you come in, of course. Exactly. That's where I decide to look at somebody. And look, I don't have the time to analyze. My job isn't to really analyze um, a company's financial statements, balance sheet, cash flows, you know, because those are the important things with, when you're looking for a company uh, or looking to invest in a company. And my job isn't to go and look and invest clients' money into all shares and whatnot. I do invest them into shares, but I am not the person with enough time to analyze that. We utilize the right fund managers who are backed by a team of analysts that go and do the research, that go and speak to the company's t management, and that go and really assess the balance sheet, the cash flows, to decide on you know what best shares to buy and sell within the fund are. My job is to basically look at a person and their time frame, their unique sets of goals and and you know personal circumstances. Are they retired? Are they not retired? Maybe they need certain you know a capital in, in in a certain amount of time and could be a long time, could be a short time. They might have different needs. They might be long term investors. And I build a portfolio utilizing funds, you know, made up of different asset classes with different time durations that can cater for that person's needs and goals. And I let, as I said, the asset managers and backed by their team of analysts to do that hard, dirty graft mm. while I, you know, review my clients that are constantly, you know, need reviewing and, you know, whoever else needs to come to me and needs advice. I work like that. And I'm fine to say, look, I'm passionate about investing and I have a, a lot more of an understanding than the general person I do believe. And to me, it's the greatest entertainment is looking at the markets. But when it comes to my clients, I treat their money as if it's my own. And I really allow the professionals who have a you know, solid track record with teams and the correct asset allocation and investing in those funds to do the hard graft in, in the background. I'm thinking of an analogy here, and it sounds to me as though what you're saying is that you're the doctor and you take the client and say, okay, this is what you need. You've got this problem at the moment. And then you send them to the pharmacist, which is the asset manager, and the pharmacist says, okay, these are the pills that you need in order to achieve your goals. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? Maybe it's a little bit frivolous, what I've just said. But um, I like the way that you say that you analyze the client's needs and then you have a look at the asset manager management industry and choose which one or ones to go with. Exactly. It's very similar. Or it's like different things wrong in my body. It's my heart, my bones, maybe certain bones are broken. You'll go to a certain doctor, you know, if, if the doctor, a few doctors are looking over me because I've been in a terrible accident and you get a cardiologist who's looking at my heart and a doctor who's, you know, very much like an orthopedic surgeon for my broken bones and my eyes have something's wrong with them and an ophthalmologist looks at that. But all the different types of asset managers and the styles of asset managers represents each doctor. Certain asset managers have a value style, certain have a growth, certain have a quality style, you know, equity-based. Then there's some that are fixed income, that are in bonds and cash for the short duration um, type of client with an immediate need or that are drawing an income. So there's so much you can do. And, you know, that's the area where I play to really invest somebody in line with what they need in their duration, in their specific circumstances, in the right doctors, should we call it.
The last sentence you say in your article uh, says here, save the entertainment for the casino and consult an experienced qualified advisor to guide you to make investments suited to your circumstances, which is just reiterating and embellishing what we've said over the last 10 minutes or so, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, it was a really good chat. Aaron Ruttenberg is from Brenthurst Wealth, and that was It's My Money. It's My Money was brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, an award-winning boutique wealth management company.